0: Today we're in week two of our Christmas series talking about the, the traditions of Christmas. And we learned last week that a tradition is something that just gets passed down from one generation to the next. Some things we just pass on uh, naturally. We don't even have to work. There's no effort involved. And then other things we need to make sure that we're very intentional about passing on to our kids and our, and our grandkids. Faith in Christ, belief in God. These are some things that are important to us. We want to make sure that we pass those on to our our kids. And Christmas is just such a wonderful time of year. It's filled with all kinds of families and parties and gatherings and, 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 and food and gifts. Uh, uh, but, you know, there are some rather unusual traditions of Christmas that people uh, have. Uh, some that I've never, our family's never been a part of. How many of you uh, hide a pickle on the Christmas tree? Anybody here? Uh, do, okay. All right. Several of you hide, hide that. I have no idea what that has to do with Christmas, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I think it has, I think it's a German, uh, I think it's a German thing, but I could be wrong. How about, anybody do the elf on a shelf kind of a thing here? Any, okay, handful of folks doing that. Um, I've heard that this is, uh, this is only an American thing, really. But how many of you like to drink eggnog at Christmas time? Oh yeah, good stuff, you know. Everybody likes 46 grams of sugar every time you drink something. You're in the, you're in the right, (laughs) you're in the right place. You know, there are things that we talk about that we don't really know about when it comes to Christmas. Like, you know, we talk about the dance of the sugar plum fairies in the Nutcracker, right? And we talked about, remember the poem, Night Before Christmas? The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Do you know what a sugar plum is? I venture to say you probably don't. Uh, let me just say it has nothing to do with plums, okay? If you're thinking kids are sitting there dreaming about plums, uh, you're wrong, Uh, A sugar plum, actually the the, the word plum there goes to the other usage in the language, which means desirable. We say like somebody has a plum job, right? A desirable job. Uh, That's the usage of the word plum there. A sugar plum was actually a small nut, usually an almond or a seed, a caraway seed that was covered with some kind of a liquefied sugar and then allowed to harden, forming a small, hard, round piece of candy. So the kids were just laying in bed dreaming of candy. Now that makes more sense, doesn't it? I love candy at Christmas time, right? Especially the Reese's little Christmas trees, you know? Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> good, good stuff. So uh, this, this week I, I was uh, out and about, and, and I was just talking to a random person that uh, I, I know that doesn't go to church. And I, I just asked the question, I said, what, what is your... F- what is your family's favorite Christmas tradition? Or what does your, your family like to do? And she thought about it for a minute and she said, giving Christmas gifts. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, that's good. Um, in our culture, it would be hard to imagine a Christmas celebration without the exchanging of gifts. Unfortunately, for many people, that's all Christmas is, it's just a time to give gifts. But um, I want to I look at the gifts that were, were given to Christ here uh, at, at his birth, and that's going to be what we're going to talk about today as we talk about the tradition of giving gifts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. It says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they'd seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary, and fell down and worshipped him. And when to open their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, I pray that you would speak to us today, uh, help us to understand uh, just these interesting gifts and, and the important things that they signify, uh, Lord, I pray that you just give us a spirit of understanding, uh, speak to our hearts, you know, open our eyes and our ears to the truth you'd have us receive today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were like me, you probably thought that the wise men giving gifts uh, here to Jesus is probably what started the whole gift-giving tradition at Christmas. I mean, that was the way I was kind of brought up. That's what I thought happened, but that isn't likely the case. Giving gifts at the end of December was actually occurring hundreds of years before Christ was born. Even though trends and tastes and gifts may change, the gesture of acquiring and preparing and bestowing something of value to friends and family uh, is something that has been going on for years in the world uh, in in different celebrations and festive periods, uh, quite frankly, for thousands of years, uh, even before the founding of Christianity. Uh, truthfully, gift giving has its roots uh, in an ancient Roman uh, festival called Saturnalia. Uh, this is an ancient Roman pagan festival that uh, honors the agricultural god Saturn. Now these festivities took place between the seventeenth and the twenty-third of December, and they were celebrated with a sacrifice and a public banquet. And then they would they would give gifts. Now these gifts that they gave they were uh, they were usually small. They weren't expensive gifts. Uh, sometimes they were actually gag gifts. Uh, there it was all in a spirit of fun, and and uh, you gave gifts to friends and family and what have you. Yeah, Saturnalia was a big party. There was, it, was, it was a fun atmosphere and social standings were kind of done away with for that, for that week. So, you know, everybody was equal during that particular time and it was just a real time of celebration uh, and it was celebrated all throughout the territories of Rome uh, pretty much through the end of the calendar year. And because this was a much-loved festival and kinda, it had kind of this carefree atmosphere and, and the giving of gifts and lavish entertainment, people... We're not inclined to want to give up that particular uh, tradition. So at the conversion of Emperor Constantine to Christianity in AD 312, that signaled the beginning of the end of pagan celebrations throughout the empire. But, but the leaders, they couldn't just simply ban Saturnalia because it was so popular and it would, it would cause a backlash. So the prevailing theory is that they brought many of the traits of Saturnalia over when they were establishing a new festival period that they called Christmas. And this would be a rival festival to Saturnalia uh, to commemorate something significant, the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the giving of gifts was probably one of the traditions that was carried over from uh, this, this old, uh, this old uh, Saturnalia uh, festival. So then that begs the question, is it wrong to give gifts at Christmas if the origin comes from an ancient pagan culture? So regardless of what the Christian traditions may have meant, their use today needs to be evaluated based on what they mean today, not necessarily what they meant thousands of years ago. So to automatically associate Christmas gifts and candles and colored lights and Christmas trees with pagan worship is unwarranted. Uh, clearly, clearly, if there are unholy practices, if there was something that's like really wrong and unholy, it shouldn't be done. Um, but you know, if you know, Christmas really maybe did start off kind of a Saturnalia, but then has been uh, taken over uh, by Christians and turned into something completely different. I, I think that it, it is an okay thing. Um, I don't think any of the celebrations that we do today uh, really have anything to do with paganism. And so, you know, I think the the attempt to try and connect Christmas and paganism, you know, can be disregarded. uh, Christians celebrating Christmas are no more pagan than churches who uh, worship on Sunday, uh, which was you know named because of the pagan god, and they called it the Day of the Sun, or those who hold services and, uh, and prayer meetings on Wednesday night named after the Norse god Woden. Uh, The pagan origins of the names of the days of the week have nothing to do with the church's weekly gatherings, and ancient pagan winter festivals really have no bearing on the modern Christmas celebration that we have uh, today. If I were to ask you to tell me about Nike, uh, you would probably tell me about a shoe company or, or an apparel company. You wouldn't talk about the Greek goddess of victory from whom the company is actually named. My point is simply this. Whether certain Christmas traditions may have come from an ancient pagan celebration or not, the customary Christian tradition of Christmas has nothing to do with paganism or worshipping false gods. So Christians who celebrate Christmas today do so in remembrance of the birth of Jesus Christ. So if you are tempted to send me an email or website... (laughs) Telling me about the evils of the Christmas tree, Santa Claus, the 12 days of Christmas, the Yule log, and the date, December 25th. Allow me to save you some time (coughs) by giving you my answer. If Jesus Christ can transform unbelieving sinners into born-again believers, why can't we transform pre-Christian traditions into meaningful Christian practices and experiences? Let's just redeem it. Amen and amen. All right, there we go. My email is roger at venturenaples. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you'll be able to get a hold of me. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so back to the tradition of gift giving. So Reverend John Henry Hopkins Jr., was an author, he was a book illustrator, he was a stained glass window designer, he was a clergyman, and he was the editor of the New York Church Journal. He was a pretty busy guy. And uh, he grew up in church and he got tired of the drab hymns that they sang during his childhood. And so he set out to write hymns that people might en- enjoy singing. And uh, most of his hymns did not take off, but one did and became a Christmas classic. And surely you know it. We three kings of Orient are tried to smoke a leather cigar. It was loaded, it exploded, now we are no more. Well, that's not, that's not the way he wrote it. That's the way I learned it as a kid. But his, his writing of this hymn is just beautiful. And it has to do with the giving of gifts. And so I want to read you uh, the words that, that he wrote. He said, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar. Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns the deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathes the life of gathering doom sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in a stone-cold tomb. Glorious now, behold him, arise, King and God and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, sounds through the earth and skies. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. I just love that. That is a beautiful, beautiful uh, Christmas hymn. There may be some scriptural inconsistencies in the song that don't necessarily line up exactly. Matthew doesn't indicate how many kings traveled to Bethlehem. In fact, Matthew calls them wise men or astrologers, not kings. The magis were astrologers, philosophers, scientists, and mathematicians. They were actually legal experts, which is where we get the name magistrate, a magi magistrate. So one of the duties of the magistrate or the magi were to, be, were to actually select the kings of Persia. So they were not kings, they were king makers. They were the ones who selected who would be king. Um, so there's no doubt that there were probably many more than three of these wise men uh, you know, that we call magi. Uh, there are things that we just, we don't know where they came from, you know, we, we, we say that they, they probably came from Turkey or Iran, you know, like, but we don't know. How many were there? We, we're not sure. How did they know to follow the, the star? We're, we're not told. They seem to come out of nowhere to pay homage to the newborn king, and then just as mysteriously, they, 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 they were gone. Uh, So scripture doesn't give us a lot of detail about them, but tradition has given us a heyday as it relates to the Magi. Tradition says that there were three, that they traveled across the desert, that they were silhouetted on a nighttime sky with palm trees. You've seen the picture of them. We have their names, you know, Casper and Melchior and Balthazar. Tradition tells us uh, where they came from, what they did and where they went. Tradition tells us that they were baptized by Thomas, and that when they died, their bodies were preserved in Constantinople, that centuries later, they were moved to Cologne, and if you have the price of admission, you can still see their bones today. That's what tradition tells us. So, uh, But that is all primarily tradition. There's no real proof to any of that. But today, I want to talk to you about what do we know to be true, not not just simply tradition, but, but, but truth. You know, and we know it's true because it's in God's word. And, and I think really the wise men do hold the record for the most unusual gifts of Christmas, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, the, these, these were usual and unique because actually each one of these gifts helps to tell the story. They help us to understand the significance of Christ's life. And so I just want to take a few moments and just kind of unpack the significance of each one of these gifts. So back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, now let's just say here, let let me start by saying that um, the, the Magi did not show up uh, at the manger uh, for Christ's birth. Okay, uh, they came much later. So if you have a if you have a nativity set and you have the wise men there, you know, put the wise men on the other side of the room. Okay, <clears throat> don't put them over here. You can have them out, just don't have them over here because they weren't there yet. They came a couple years later. It says, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold. Gold is a gift fit for a king. And it speaks of Christ's sovereign dominion. In verse 2, the wise man asked the question Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Jesus was born a king. And historically kings would wear crowns of gold. We see this in Psalm 23 verse 3, Psalm 21 verse 3, you welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. So when the wise men brought the gift of gold, they were saying that we recognize that this little baby is the king of the Jews. He is destined to reign. He is sovereign. Not only is he king of the Jews, but really he's the king of the universe, right? I mean, he made it all, he owns it all, he rules it all. He is sovereign. He is supreme. The Scripture tells us that by him everything was created. I talked about this last week, but I want to share it with you again. Colossians one verse fifteen, Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, that's Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's king. It's all his. He made it all. It's all his. And yet the question for us today, bringing it to this day, is: is he the king of your life? Does Jesus reign supreme in your heart? Is he the lord of your life? You know, we're quick to embrace him as savior because we want the forgiveness of our sins, but often we're not as quick to embrace him as lord. Ask yourself, is he the lord of all your decisions? Do you do you stop and ask God for wisdom and direction? Do you do you ask do you pray before you make decisions? Is he the lord of your possessions? Do you recognize that absolutely everything you own belongs to God that you're a steward, you're a manager of it for a period of time as am I and that we it's all the lord's and we are just to 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 steward that well? Is he the lord of your time? You know, does does do you even think about him when you're looking at your calendar, when you're planning your days, your weeks, your months and your years? It's one thing to call him king, it's another thing to call him Lord and let him reign in your life. Why is it difficult? Well, often he'll ask. He'll, he'll lead us to, to, to places that sometimes we don't want to go. He'll 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 pick us up from here and, and put us over here, and sometimes we don't particularly care for that process. Sometimes he pushes us further than we really want to go, and uh, you know maybe we don't want to do this particular thing. Sometimes he'll 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 ask us to give more than we really feel like giving. He'll call us to sacrifice. You know, more than we really want to sacrifice. You know, the Bible says that we're to take up our cross and follow him. So the wise men here, they recognized the royalty of Christ and they made a sacrifice to worship him and come and lay these gifts at his feet. And gold wasn't the only gift they brought that day, they also brought the gift of frankincense. Now, frankincense speaks of his sinless deity. Not only is Jesus king, he's also God. I ask, well, how does frankincense indicate that Jesus is God? Well, in the the Old Testament, one of the ways they worshipped God was by burning incense, uh, and and mainly frankincense. It was this sweet perfume that when burned, it would go up in smoke. And by the way, if you come to the Venture Christmas celebration, we'll we'll have frankincense burning there. Symbolically, it was a sweet perfume that would rise and fill the nostrils of God. It was it was pleasing to him. It was a symbol of worship. It was just one of the ways that they glorified God. Now, frankincense is mentioned 17 times in the Bible. It's used of one of four sweet compounds that were used and, and blended together to uh, make the ceremonial incense uh, for the Jews that they used uh, in their time of, of, uh, of sacrifice and prayer. Uh, so it was, a, it was a scent that would be prevalent on the temple grounds. It would be something that you would smell, and when you would smell that, you would, you would just know that you were in the presence of God, that you were, you were at the temple. It was used exclusively for worshiping God. Uh, This particular thing was was holy. It was not to be used for any other common purpose. In Exodus chapter 30, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, uh, anika and galbanum, and, and pure frankincense, all in equal parts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It's to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it, To powder and place it in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Now, when I first read that, I thought, we should make some of that. You know, we got the recipe right there. You know, any perfumers here? I don't think so. I thought that would be a good idea. Then I read the next verse Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to do that. I changed my mind. (laughs) It says, Consider it holy to the Lord. So don't make that. You know, when the wise men bring Jesus their gifts, you know, they, they were recognizing, these were symbol, they were recognizing that he is, he is king. And, and, and by bringing him the frankincense, they were recognizing that he is God. But then they also brought a third gift, the gift of myrrh. And this speaks of the sacrificial death of Christ. Uh, myrrh is symbolic of the fact that this baby... Was born to die. Uh, Myrrh is an aromatic gum resin obtained from trees and shrubs in northern Africa and then uh, throughout the entire East. Uh, Myrrh was used in Egypt in the embalming and purification and mummification process. There are 22 references of myrrh in the Bible. Uh, Myrrh was used to anoint every part of the tabernacle uh, in the the wilderness. It was myrrh that was poured on the feet of Jesus the week before uh, his death. And at this time, uh, myrrh was used to embalm the dead. You may remember that when Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus brought myrrh to anoint his body. We see this in John 19, 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 Pounds, So, in bringing the gift of myrrh, the the wise men were recognizing that this baby, this child, was born to die. Were these gifts unusual? Yes. But these gifts told a story. And it's a story we've been telling for 2,000 years. It's a wonderful story, a love story. The fact that God so loved the world that he was willing to give us a gift. He was willing to send Jesus Christ to our existence so that we could, we could know him and that he could save us, he could redeem us. Really, it was a redemption story. Christ would be born and be willing to take the punishment that we deserve for the forgiveness of our sins in order to restore the relationship that was broken because of our sin between us and God. So Christmas is really... A moving story of God's love. A lamb born to take the sins of the world. A virgin giving birth to God. A star that leads uh, wise men to Christ. So they gave, because he was king, they gave him gold. Because he was God, they brought him frankincense. And because he was savior, they brought him myrrh. So these gifts clearly were symbolic, but they were also pragmatic. These gifts, even in those days, were expensive expensive. Uh, you know, a thief and a robber would, would love to steal these because, you know, they, you know, they cost a lot of money. We know that Herod, King Herod, feared the baby Jesus, who was called the King of the Jews. And so he sent his soldiers throughout the, the region of Bethlehem to kill every male child to and under. So one night, God warned Joseph to take his family and to flee to Egypt so that Jesus would not be killed. So Joseph did. He got up in the middle of the night, he gathered his family and what few belongings they had, and they fled. But have you ever considered the fact how, how, how did Joseph, a simple carpenter, afford to make such a trip? How did he pack up his family and, and, and go to a new land? And how did he provide for his family in this new land? Well, God had provided by sending gold and frankincense and myrrh. These gifts, which had traveled all the way from Persia, were compact, they were portable, they were expensive, and they were easily traded and sold. So God inspired the Magi to give these particular gifts as a way to tell a story but also provide for Joseph and his family during the exile to Egypt. So as we consider the tradition of giving gifts at Christmas, I think it's a good thing that we pass on this this tradition to the next generation. Um, Can gift-giving go wrong it can if it becomes if it becomes the sole focus and if it, if it leads to materialism and 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 that's what it's all about and we miss the we miss the greater story behind the the practice of gift giving yes it can be wrong but uh, I don't think that giving gifts is going to take away from the true meaning of Christmas I, I think it's it's a part of the story uh, and I think it's it's just something to remind us that maybe as we give kids gifts and things like this, that we remind them, that hey kids, do you, do you realize that the greatest gift that was ever given was given by God himself, and he gave his son Jesus Christ? Isaiah wrote this, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So continue giving gifts, but The key is focus. Make sure that you you consider the ultimate gift giver, our gracious heavenly Father. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. God is the ultimate Christmas gift giver, right? As much as we give to him, he's far outgiven us. He's given us Jesus, his Son. So as we wrap it up, today. Let me ask you, do you really treat Jesus as the king of your life? Is he the king of your life? Does he have sovereign control of your time, your treasure, your talents? Do you truly seek to worship him and bring glory to him in all you do? Is his glory your highest priority? I think the best gift that we can give Jesus is to worship him, is to worship him and remember what Jesus Christ did for us. So we looked at these beautiful, symbolic, pragmatic gifts that they gave. But I'll tell you, on the day that those gifts were given, the the, the greatest gift was not the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The greatest gift was the gift that Jesus offered them, and that was the gift of eternal life. And that is the gift that he offers to you and to me. The fact that our sins can be forgiven, we can be clean, cleansed white as snow, we can be redeemed, we can be reconciled with God the Father, and we can spend eternity with God in heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. My friends, that is, that is the greatest gift that can be given. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never, you've never received that gift. You know, it, 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 it is a gift. I mean, if somebody offers you a gift and you don't take it, you don't have it. If I reached in my pocket, pulled out a hundred dollar bill and held it here and say, hey, you can have it. And I just held it here and nobody came and got it. I would put it back in my pocket and you, you, you wouldn't have it because you didn't come get it. And, and you know, the gift of salvation is offered to everyone. But if they don't take it, they don't receive it. God doesn't force it, he makes it available He offers his gift of salvation, but each and every one of us must make the choice to receive the gift of salvation. If you're here today and you've never received the gift of salvation, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you've never put your faith, your trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross as a payment for your sin, then rising from the dead, proving that he was indeed God Almighty. Before you put your head in your pillow tonight, I encourage you to call out to God. The Bible said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The way you receive the gift is you ask for it, and he'll give it to you, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning that Jesus is is King, and he is God, and he is our Savior, and we worship you. We worship you today, God. We thank you for your rich gifts to us and your blessings, and we thank you so much for salvation. And God, I pray that in this season, that Lord, we would just remember the birth of Christ. That we would celebrate who Jesus is, and that we would bring light into this dark world and hope to those who need it. And so, Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. Let's stand as we.